So our topic this week, from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 22, Abraham sacrifices Isaac. Starting in verse 1, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And that answer we're going to see several times through this chapter. It's mentioned in other places in the Bible. Uh, in Hebrew, it is hineni, here I am. And that's a good uh, response to God's calling. Uh, last time Abraham uh, heard God speak to him, at least recorded in the Bible, uh, God told him he's going to have a child next year, and, and uh, Sarah's going to visit him again, and Sarah's going to have a child. So he's anxious to hear, what, what do you got next for me now? <laughs> so I already got the child, and so, and so what's next? And, and at this point in time, uh, it's maybe 15 to 20 years uh, since Isaac was born. So Isaac at this point might be uh, 15 to 20 years old. And so he says, Hineni, here I am, Lord. What do you have for me next? What's next? What's the plan? And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. And at that point, I'm sure he wished he didn't answer the phone. Right? <laughs> what could that be? How could that be? Take your son, your only son. So God here now making it clear that he's not acknowledging Ishmael as the promised son. Ishmael, by this point, has been uh, banished, removed from the family. While Abraham still loved him and God still loved Ishmael, and uh, Ishmael still ends up coming to Abraham's uh, funeral. But God here speaking says, your son, your only son, whom you love. And so in this 15, 20 year period of time, Abraham has bonded very, very closely with Isaac. The promised child who he waited for 25 years from the original promise till he was born. So we're now here 40 or more years since that time. He'll take him and offer him as a burnt offering. Abraham knew what that meant. Abraham had offered lots of burnt offerings over the years. No doubt thousands of animals and worship to God and for forgiveness of sins. And so he knew exactly what God was talking about here. On one of the mountains, which I will tell you, go to Mount Moriah or to the land of Moriah. And that mountain becomes very significant in biblical history and for us even today. So I can't imagine what was going through, everything that was going through Abraham's mind at that point, but I'd imagine he didn't sleep at all that night, wrestled in prayer, wondering, could that have been God's voice? Was that me? Was that something else? Was it temptation from the devil? Was it the pizza I ate last night? What was it that was causing this? Think these thoughts. Where did that come from? No doubt the devil was tempting him. How could you murder? Be against God to murder? God wouldn't ask you to murder? What will the people think you've been witnessing to all this time? You've lived in this area and 
telling them about God and worshiping God, and now you're going to kill your son like a heathen? But in his heart, he knew. He heard that voice over and over again. He was familiar with that voice. He knew it was God, wrestled back and forth. Maybe he walked over to the point where, to the place where, where God met him in person, came in the flesh, and spoke with him and ate with him. Maybe he walked over to the cliff overlooking the, over Sodom, to where he had also spoken with God in the flesh. Looking for him, maybe he'll come, maybe he'll explain this to me, maybe he'll give me more details, maybe he'll tell me it really wasn't him, it was something else. Wrestling. How can this be? God promised this son to me, how could he take him away? Imagine him looking in, peeking in on Isaac's tent, seeing him sleeping there, laying there peacefully. Want to share his burden with someone, talk to somebody about this. Who could understand? Who could he get counsel from? Maybe he looked in on Sarah, saw her sleeping there, wanting to unburden himself to her, fearing she'll try and stop him, even if it was the voice of God. Why disturb her? Why break her heart with this? Troublesome thoughts. And so I don't think he woke up Sarah. I don't think he told Sarah. There's a lesson for us there too. If you're wanting to buy that boat you've been thinking about or that fancy expensive jacket, don't tell your spouse, right? Don't wake them up. Just go do it and deal with it afterwards, right? So he didn't tell Sarah. I don't think he told Sarah. Don't get talked out of it. And then early in the morning, he tells Isaac to come up, wake up, and he saddles his donkey and takes two young men with him and Isaac, his son. He splits some wood, and they went to the place of which God had told him. It's a three-day journey, and we go from Beersheba, where he was, up to Jerusalem, and you get to see the type of terrain and how far it is, walking, and with a donkey carrying the load, three days. And I doubt he slept on any of those nights either. I can't imagine there was any conversation taking place. 24-7, his heart is just aching with this thought. How can I go back to Sarah? What am I going to tell Sarah? How is she going to take this? It's going to kill her. How can I do this thing? Wrestling, listening, God speak to me. God take this cup from me. Remove this from me. I can't handle this. I'm sure he wasn't in the mood for any chit-chat. And so it was probably a very quiet and solemn walk for days on end.
And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So somewhere between that second and third day, Abraham gets to the point of surrender and chooses, I'll leave this with God. God gave me this child. God knows what's best. God has been leading and guiding and directing in my life. And he looks up. And when he looks up, he sees the mountain afar off. Now, how was he able to tell that was the mountain somehow or another? God revealed it to him. Maybe a cloud over it in some special way. Maybe a light shining on it or something. God revealed to him that's the spot. Even though it's far away, that's the spot. And he knew that God was directing. That that was God's voice. This is God's plan. And so he looks up and he sees it. And he knows. And then he says the most amazing thing to his two servants. You wait here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. He has faith somehow. He knows he's moving forward. He's going to do what God has called him to do. But somehow or another, we are going to return back to you. That's faith. It's not knowing what God's going to do, but trusting his promises. Through this, son, you're going to have children and descendants as many as the sand of the sea. Somehow or another, God's going to bring it that we come back. Not some other child, not some other way, but we will come back. I don't know how. I will be obedient, and I will follow suit. And that's really what the test is about. And I believe that Abraham would not have to experience this type of test if he hadn't blown it already before by having a child with Hagar, Ishmael. But since he wasn't putting God first then and wasn't trusting God's promises, God needed to test him with a deeper test. And this may be one of the biggest tests that has ever been asked by God upon any human being. And he receives this test, and is moving forward by faith. And that's what it's going to take for each one of us. That's the test for us. Who is most important in our lives? Is God first and foremost? Or is there something else? And it might have been for Abraham that he was beginning to love Isaac too much. And God needed to make it clear, for Abraham's sake, whom Abraham should put first. So there might be things in our life that God tests us with. Are we willing to surrender all? For some people, it's their children. Their lives revolve around their children. They're codependent on their children more than God. Some it's a spouse or a parent 
or it could be a job, our career, our name, our reputation, our plans, our future, could be a thing, a house, a car, a trinket, memento, keepsake. Nothing is more important than God. Amen. And that's going to be the final test. That's it. That's what we're going to be asked in Judgment Day. Who did you put first? What did you put first? And that's why God gives us little tests along the way. That's what the whole principle of tithe and offerings is about. Whom do we love more? Our finances, our money, or do we trust God first and foremost? Who do we pay first? Are we paying our rent or our mortgage or, or some person or some debt or something? Or do we give to God first? Who is first? That's why he gives us the test of food. What is, is our God our belly or is God our God? Our taste buds? Or what do we live for? The Sabbath, another kind of test along that line. Is our job more important? Our career more important? Or is God more important? Various tests he gives us. And so when we're tested on things, it's to help us to see what we have been exalting above God. Sometimes when we're in the sense of losing that thing, that car, that home, that spouse, that child, that parent, how we respond in that moment, that's where the test is. Do we trust God with all things? Are we willing to surrender all? Verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. He takes the wood off the donkey they've been carrying all this way. And he places it upon Isaac. And Isaac has to carry his own wood that he's going to be burnt upon. Isn't that almost like <laughs> horrible? So again, it shows his age. He's not some young kid like some of the paintings depict him. But obviously, he's old enough to carry a whole load of, after three days of hiking up and down mountains and rocks and difficult terrain, he's able to carry a load of wood. And it's interesting, that last verse we were looking at, he says, the lad and I will return. And even couldn't even mention his name, can't even mention his name. He's so heavy with a burden, but the lad and I will return. Verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son, Hineni. Here I am. Might have been the first words. First words mentioned in the Bible for three days. He says, Father. And that must have, again, broke his heart. As he's knowing he's going to have to kill his son. And here his son is referring to him, calling to him, Father. Here I am, my son, 
What can I do for you? And Isaac said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? They've been traveling for three days, carrying the wood, the knife, and the fire. And after three days, Isaac says, where's the lamb? Finally noticed, not a real bright kid, right? <laughs> but after three days, he knows something's missing here. Where's the lamb? Where's the offering? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham gives the most amazing response. Very powerful verse here. Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. By faith, he knows that God is going to provide. Anything that God calls us to do, God gives us the power to do. God moves upon our hearts, and God is the provider who takes care of us. He gives us faith. He gives all of us a measure of faith. And then as we ask for more, he'll give us more faith. He'll give us whatever we need for the moment at hand, for the task at hand. And so he's trusting that God is in this. God knows God is going to provide himself, the lamb, for the burnt offering. Verse 9, Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now we've been talking about Abraham, but really here we see the, the, uh, the amazing spirit of Isaac. That Isaac, again, at this point in his age, is strong enough, no doubt. So somewhere here at this point, Abraham tells Isaac what he heard, what God said to him. And Isaac had the choice. Isaac could have ran away. Again, 15, 20 years old. Abraham's 120 or so, traveling three days, no sleep. Isaac, in the strength of his youth, could have said, no way, I'm not going along with this, and taken off. But he doesn't. He accepts by faith, trusting in God. And he lays down his life. He trusts his father. He didn't say, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> he trusts the word of his father that he heard from God. There's not a lot written in the Bible about Isaac. Very few chapters, very few stories. And the reason is, it's not because he didn't live a long time. It's not because the Bible isn't surrounded with him. There's all these stories about Abraham. There's lots of stories about Jacob and Joseph. But about Isaac, very few. And the reason is, is because Isaac was so good. The Bible is all about the bad. 
So it seems like they were always bad. Well, they weren't always bad. It just tells the stories of when they were bad. Time-wise, most of the time they were good. And that's when the Bible's silent. And so Isaac was good. He didn't, he had one wife, stayed with one wife his whole life. Unlike Abraham, unlike Isaac or Jacob. He made right choices. Unless there was nothing to talk about. <laughs> no lessons for us to learn. He just did what the Bible said to do. And here's the first example of that. He surrendered all right from the start. Willingly gave up his life. And laid down without a struggle. And that need three days to think about it. He heard from his father. He said, fine, bind me up. And do what you need to do. And so Abraham lifts the knife. I don't think it's like a dagger like some pictures, but placing it upon the neck like slaying a lamb. Quickly cut the jugular. Can't imagine what was going through their minds and hearts at that point. One last embrace. I love you. Were tears coming down his eyes? Or was he at peace? Sometimes we think about what the son was going through in his death and not think about the father. And sometimes we think about what the father was experiencing and ignore what the son must have been going through because the Bible doesn't tell us a lot. But it must have been very emotional. What were Isaac's last thoughts? Were they looking at each other? Did he close his eyes? And so Abraham is ready to cut his throat. The knife is on his throat, maybe even starting to cut the skin. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, we're told, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. No one had been raised from the dead at that point. Enoch went straight to heaven, but other than that, I don't have any other account, but I, Abraham believes that God is even able to raise him. I can kill him, as God said. Our job is to be obedient and leave the results with God. Trusting for God to provide in whatever way he sees fit. That's the test. Are we willing to let God work through us in obedience to his word? and trust in him. 
And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Isaac died. Here at this point, he dies. The spiritual death. He died to self. He died from the will to live. He surrendered all. And that's what God calls of each one of us. To die to self. To be dead to the things of this world. To give up all for him. To let go of all for him. To be fully and completely surrendered. That nothing is more important to us. Nothing has a hold on us. All the carnal nature, dead and buried away and removed from us. Dying in the Lord. Rabbi Paul said he died daily. Galatians 2, verse 20. I am killed in the Messiah. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but the Messiah liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are dead in him, died in him, and live in newness of life. And so Isaac here dies and is resurrected to newness of life. That's why, again, there doesn't have to be much written about him in the Bible. He lived a righteous life. So back to Genesis 22, verse 11. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, Hineni. Here I am. Now he's anxious to hear. <laughs> you gotta, it's got to be better news than the last time you spoke to me. It couldn't get any worse than that. Hineni, here I am. Here I am. What do you want of me? For many parents, I'm sure that they would rather be tortured, be killed, rather than see their child tortured or killed. And so for Abraham, this is it. What do you got, Lord? Something's got to be better than this. This is the worst. Hineni, here I am. And so before he literally, physically kills Isaac and cuts his throat, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Who is this angel of the Lord? Verse 12. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. He surrendered his son. He gave him up. He let go of him. He passed the test. That's what the judgment's going to be about. That's what each one of us, God's going to say, have you given all? Have you let go of all? Do we fear, reverence, trust God overall? Fear hurting his heart. Fear disappointing him. Fear trampling him underfoot. 
Fear neglecting his great love for us. Fear rejecting his sacrifice in our behalf. Fear him. Want to please him. Want to make him happy. Want to put him first. If not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Verse 13, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So he's caught in a thicket by the horns, and that's why we read this, on, because the horns, that's what's used for the shofars, and that's the connection between this and Rosh Hashanah, as well as the whole theme of the judgment, the test. Now, when did the ram get caught in the bush? Right then and there, or was he there all along? I don't know. But I know that Abraham sees him when he looks up, when he lifts his eyes. It's like he saw the mountain when he lifted his eyes. When we look away from the things of this world, when we look away from the troubles of this world, when we look away from our problems and our sores and our struggles and our difficulties and our the, the hurts and pains that we've experienced and those who are trying to uh, take from us and misuse us and abuse us and speak horribly about us and disappoint us and neglect us, when we look away from all those troubles and look away from all those things and look to God, we see God's provision there. Not always right away. It might be three days later. It might be years later. But look up. Expectantly, waiting, trusting, look to God. He has our future. He has plans for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Look away from the things of this world. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Look upon him. Look up to him. Raise your eyes above the things of this world, the calamities, the problems, the threats, the disappointments, the force, the coercion, the corruption. Look up. Our redemption draws nigh. Look to him. Keep our eyes focused on the goal set before us. Keep our eyes focused on he who loves us with an everlasting love. He who puts us first in all things. And so Abraham sees the ram. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Theological terms, this is called the substitutionary atonement where God accepts a substitute in place of the sacrifice, the one or the thing to be sacrificed. The wages of sin is death. We deserve death. But God provides a substitutionary atonement for us in our place. Now, it doesn't get us off the hook. A lot of people misunderstand God's forgiveness. That, oh, we're free. Oh, we're off the hook. No, no, no way, shape, or form. Isaac still had to die, and Abraham still had to die to self first, and both did. Isaac, 
surrendered all, died to self, was willing to be sacrificed. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. They both had laid it all on the line and spiritually died. And that's what it takes to receive the offering that God has already provided for us. That's what it takes to see the ram caught in the thicket. Otherwise, we can't see it. It's already there. It's already provided for us. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Already provided for us. The price has already been paid. And so Abraham's able to offer Isaac in place of his son. Setting the stage for the divine substitute in our place. Verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And it's on that mountain, that very mountain, where God places the temple. Where David chooses and Solomon builds the temple. Where thousands and thousands of lambs are sacrificed, pointing forward to the Messiah. The place of the Lord, the mount of the Lord, where it will be provided, where it shall be provided. Sacrifice, the forgiveness provided, the substitutes provided for mankind. And it's on that same mountaintop area, in that same vicinity there, right on this mountain of Moriah, where the Messiah came, where the Messiah was killed. And the Lord provided. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. And if we are Abraham's seed, if we are Abraham's children, spiritually, whether literally, then we also need to die to self and be born anew spiritually. We all need to be born as children of Abraham, as children who've died to self, surrendered all, and born anew then we will possess the gates of our enemies. They can taunt us here. They can twist our arms here. They can persecute us here. They can take everything from us. They can throw us in jail. They can kill us. It doesn't matter. We will possess their gates. The meek shall inherit the earth. We will experience the eternal Sukkot. <laughs> And we will gain it all. Amen. They can have the riches. They can have the power. They can have all that they want on this little, tiny little planet for whatever little time they have. But God will give us their gates. God will give us their homes. God will give us the land for eternity. And we shall live. So who is this angel of the Lord that spoke to Abraham? By myself I have sworn, says the Lord. yud heh vav hey, Lord. So this angel of the Lord is no other than the Lord himself. 
speaking to Abraham. And so sometimes in the Bible when it says angel of the Lord, it is God himself. Not always, but sometimes. And in this instance, this angel of the Lord is the Lord himself. And again, you have not withheld your son, your only son. And thus I will bless you. Since it says, many as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. Well, which one? As many as the stars of heaven or as many as the sand on the seashore? Which is it? It says both. How can it be both? Which one is it? So we can see about 4,500 stars with the naked eye, without a telescope or anything. They estimate about, 10, about 100 to 400 billion stars in the Milky Way. And then 10 to 200, that's a big gap, but 10 to 200 sextillion. You know what that is? 10 to 200 sextillion? That's the national debt. <laughs> and they're not telling us anymore. They just keep giving it away and giving it away and giving it away. So they're never calculating, so we don't even know. And whatever they said it would be today, by the next minute, it's going to be three times higher. It's unbelievable. Anyway, but, but no, the, the 10 to 200 sextillion is how many they believe are stars in the universe. So that's a lot. So that's how many will be of the seed of Abraham. That's how many because of his descendant, because of the seed of Abraham, that's how many will be. And I don't necessarily think that's just humans, maybe, but that seems like a very high number to me. But I think God's counting all those throughout the universe the angels, the seraphim, the cherubim, whatever else God has created out there, because they all owe their existence to God defeating the devil. Because if Yeshua would have lost here, would have lost it all. So this is an interesting, some secular um, papers, magazines, did some research to see how many there are stars and sands. And the interesting thing is, not because of the Bible. Uh, they, these are not biblical people, secular people we're gonna be quoting here. But they did this research because Carl Sagan said that there are more stars in the sky than sands on the sea. I don't know why he said that, but that's what he said. So they wanted to see whether that was right or not, and so some people started counting sand, and this is what they found. From worldatlas.com, a mathematical conclusion can be made that the least number of stars is equal to the highest number of sand grains. And then from astronomy.com, I got a surprise. The numbers pretty much matched. There are about the same number of stars in the observable universe as there are sand grains in all of Earth's beaches. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so God knew that, and God makes this statement and throws this statement out to Abraham, and God created the earth, and he created the stars, and he did it so the number is the same, and that uh, 
that he can say that kind of a statement. That that's how many descendants there are going to be. It's going to be equal. Either way you calculate it. You want to go count stand or you want to go count stars? Either way, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Is that amazing? God knew. God knows. Way before the astronomers had telescopes and able to calculate how many beaches are on the earth, God knew and told Abraham. Is that amazing? And Moses was willing to write that down <laughs> long before these guys. Again, these are secular guys. They don't even believe in the Bible. They didn't even know this Bible quote. They didn't even mention it in their articles. They just mentioned Carl Sagan. That's it. Genesis 22, verse 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. All the nations, amen? All the nations. So all the nations blessed from the Jewish people, from our great inventions. And it is amazing how many inventions God has done through the Jewish people. Is it because of the technological advances? There are a lot of medical things, a lot of medicines, a lot of equipment, medical equipment, a lot of... Uh, computer things, a lot of agricultural, drip irrigation, lots of things, tons and tons of things. More Nobel Peace Prize than any other people group. Absolutely amazing, especially percentage-wise and the size. Is that what God's talking about here, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed? All the nations? Through your seed. Through the child that comes through Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, down through the ages, through the Messiah, all the nations of the earth have been blessed. And not just the nations of the earth, again, all the universe is blessed through the Messiah that came through that line as the promised seed because of his sacrifice, because of his substitutionary atonement in our behalf. We have all already been blessed beyond measure. The sacrifice has already been made. The payment is already there. Forgiveness is already offered. It's ours for the receiving just by dying. Die to self, and it's yours. That's what it takes. Surrender all, and you get to inherit it all. Surrender these little trinkets, this little time, these little things, these little relationships here on this earth, and we get to inherit it all for eternity. Yeah. Pretty good trade, right? Yeah. Who wouldn't want a trade like that? Too many. <laughs> holding on to this little thing, this thing here, holding on for dear life, and it'll all pass away anyway. Now, there's an interesting comparison that we can make between Abraham and God, the Father. Abraham's son, Isaac, was miraculously conceived. God's son was miraculously conceived. Abraham gave up his son, for God so loved the world, he gave up his only begotten son. Your only son, 
whom you love. Abraham's son carried his own wood to the place of sacrifice. God's son carried his own wood to the place of his sacrifice. Abraham's son laid down his life willingly. God's son willingly, like a lamb laid to the, led to the slaughter, willingly laid down his life. Abraham was provided a substitute. God provided his son as the substitute for us. Abraham's son lived as if born from the dead, raised from the dead. God's son lives. Raised from the dead, born from the dead. And so often we have a tendency to think about the son's suffering, think about Yeshua's suffering. As he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying and agonizing, sweating blood, his blood pressure is so high. In such agony, he says, I could die in great distress. all night long praying, and then betrayed and taken and dragged from one place to another and tried and falsely tried and kangaroo courts and lied about, spit upon, abused, beaten, mocked, mistreated, bloody, bruised, whipped with glass and bone and metal ripping into his skin, ripping out chunks of skin. Crown of thorns placed on his head, crushed into his skull, bleeding. Heavy wood laid upon him, dragging it through the city. He's mocked and derided. Hung up naked for the crowd with the rough wood splinters poking into his open flesh back. Rubbing his back up and back on that wood just to breathe. Holes in his hands, pierced in his feet. Mocked again, derided. His friends leaving, disciples leaving him, staying afar off. We can picture in some ways that type of pain. We can't know the real pain, and none of that was the real pain. The real pain of receiving as our substitute, 
the sins of the world into his heart and mind. And so as we think of the son, we think of Isaac's sacrifice, but we often don't think of the father. And so here, walking through and living in Abraham's footsteps for a little while, it's helped us to understand a little of what the father was going through. Seeing his son going through all of that. The people that he created doing this to him. Seeing him crying and bleeding and crying out in pain and in agony. Seeing his soul tortured. And then having to step back and shield himself away. So much so that the Yeshua couldn't even see him. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? I can't see you. The father able to go in and rescue him, able to send in 10,000 angels if necessary to deliver him, but does not but holds back, has the power, has the authority, but does not. Not because he doesn't want to, but because he was thinking of you. Your face, your name was on his heart. And thus he placed you more important than his only son. He put you and me more important than his most precious prized possession. That's how valuable you are to God. That's how much he loves you. How could we not love him back? How could we not put him first when he gave up all for us? And so he stood back and watched his son from all eternity be tortured for hours and hours. And then even as his son is crying out for help, why are you forsaking me? He doesn't step in. It was no doubt hurting the father even more than anything we ever could imagine. God's love for us is way beyond all that we could ask or think. And he didn't step in. He didn't stop it. He let it go through. And Yeshua died not for three days, but willing to die for all eternity, if that's what it would take to take our place.
dying the second death, dying the accursed of God death, bearing our selfish wants, our selfish sins, our pride, our vanity, our anger, our arguments, our grudges, our bitterness, our resentment, our worries, our fears, all piled together in him at one time. He took it all. Our disobedience, our lack of faith, and he paid the price for it all. The father and son suffered together. But he was raised from the dead. Amen. And because he lives, we also shall live and experience eternal life. So they went through Rosh Hashanah, they went through Yom Kippur, they passed the judgment, and thus they rejoice for the eternal Sukkot. And we will too, if we die to self and surrender all daily. And let God be first in our lives. And by his power, by his strength, move by faith and obedience to him, trusting in him and allowing him to provide the power, the strength, the desire, even the want. Not as I will, but as you will. Give me your own will. It is God who worketh in you both to do both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He'll give us the willingness and the power to obey if we surrender all and let him take over. And so as we've thought on these points and looked at these story and as we apply it to our own lives, as we prepare to pray, And we pray, Lord, not your will, not my will, but your will be done in my life. Any cares, any worries, any heaviness on your heart, as we pray, surrender it to the Lord. And let him bear your burden, carry your weight for you. If there's any sin on your record, any known disobedience against God, God's bringing anything to your mind. Surrender it to him and accept his forgiveness. Confess it, give it over to him. Accept the sacrifice paid for it. Die to it, die to the self, and give it to him. Let him cleanse you, forgive you. Let him fill you with his spirit to give you newness of life. As we're preparing here between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, if there's anyone that has ought against you. Let's pray and ask God to reveal any sin in our lives or anything that we need to apologize to anyone for. Or if there's anyone that we have anything against, that God gives us the grace to forgive them and to love them in spite of the wrong that they did to us. So if any of those areas apply to you or maybe something else, God's speaking heavy upon your heart, Maybe you appreciate, want to 
demonstrate your appreciation for God's great love for you, the Father and Son suffering for you. And when we pray, you can give them thanks and praise them and worship them. Let us pray together. Our Lord, our God, our Creator, thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for giving all of yourself, putting all of heaven on the line for us. Thank you for surrendering all in our behalf. Thank you for carrying our weight and thank you for providing for us. Thank you for the examples of Isaac and Abraham. Thank you that you gave them the grace and the power to pass the test, work in our lives as well. Kill us, crucify us. Give us the power to surrender all. Give us the power to pass the tests in our life. Bring us forth in newness of life. Fill us with your spirit. Walk us by your grace. Walk us by your step. Lift our eyes up to see you, to see your plan, to see your mountain, to see heaven, see, truly see the ram in our, given in our behalf. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.